subsiding pretty quickly, didn't it? Okay. It's going to be just like the sermon today, so you're very, very good. Um, I just want to want to tell you, I know our students are in here. They're going to be in here the next, uh, next couple of weeks. Um, and if you chose today to be the first day to visit this church, there is still time. There are a couple churches not far from here. If you want to get in your car and make your way that way, uh, but today we're kind of starting what, uh, we're going through this series called Landmines, and we are speaking about uh, a few R-rated things. And we're not doing this just to be edgy. We're doing this because the church needs to be a place where we speak truth uh, into our lives, and that we listen to not just parts of Scripture, but that we listen to all of Scripture. So, you know, th- it says with the tagline, there are sermons that get pastors fired. Um, this may be my last Sunday here, and so... Um, if, if somebody else is going to pick up the rest of this, that's going to be going to be fine. But uh, let me just tell you today, we, we're going to talk about some real stuff. I'm going to try to speak some life and some truth, and, and I want you to hear my heart uh, in the midst of this. But today, we're going to talk about sex. Now, I asked people this week, how many of you, are you worried about the question yet? <laughs> how many of you have heard a positive sermon about sex? And almost nobody said that they had heard a positive sermon about sex. A lot of people said, we heard bad sermons on sex. We heard how how sex was the worst thing ever. Or we just heard nothing on sex. And as I was preparing, I was listening to some beautiful words of poetry this week that talk about this. And one of them started by saying, let's talk about sex, baby. (laughs) Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about And the bad things. Another one that said, close the door, make a wish, blow out the candlelight, because tonight is just our night. We're going, oh boy. I got a lot of work to do this morning. Um, Wow. Today is part one. And we're going to talk about some of these things. We're going to laugh. I'm going to probably say some things that are going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. But I want to talk about some real things as well and how we can kind of of move forward in this in our lives. I I didn't go and look up a bunch of statistics, but I just want to share that I have done premarital counseling for over 20 years. And I will tell you that premarital counseling is my favorite kind of counseling to do because the couples usually still like each other. And they're excited. My worst kind of counseling, ironically, is postmarital counseling because usually one person really doesn't want to be there. But this is what I know to be true. People come to me. They know that I'm a pastor. We usually do it at a church. And they will sit down, and this is my experience of what I have seen. And that is that out of those couples, if we took ten couples, seven out of ten couples, at least one of them has been married before. It's staggering how few people come in, and it's the first marriage for both. It's about 50-50 on couples that are already living together. And about 9 out of 10 of all couples are having sex. And I sit down with them day one, and I say, listen, guys, I am not here to judge you. I'm not here to tell you how bad you are. I'm here to help you guys have a healthy marriage. 
I'm here to change your perspective and help you have a healthier marriage moving forward. And it helps them relax a little bit and not feel like they're the worst people in the world. Now, I've heard some people that say, I disagree with that. You should be telling them how bad and how wrong they are. And I said, I understand that. But my experience has been, let's rather try and right that wrong because it didn't come from nowhere. Ironically, for most post-marital counseling, most of those couples are not living together or they're living separate lives and they're definitely not having sex. It's amazing how that shifts and how that changes from one context to another. Agree or disagree, we live in a hyper-sexual culture. Okay. It's everywhere, right? You can watch the news and there's commercials that you think shouldn't be there. I remember when I was growing up and my grandparents or my parents would watch Dallas. You remember the, the theme music there? And, and your, your parents did, and your grandparents, this is not a kid's show, time to go to bed. And every now and then when we would peek around the corner and see, anytime somebody would start kissing, we would, we would move to the, to the drapes flowing in the wind. I don't quite know how that represents that they were having sex, but it did. In fact, if we watch Dallas today, it's so tame, we'd probably say it's good for Nickelodeon. It's just, it's nothing. And yet, over the course of 30 years or whatever it is, how desensitized we have become to this notion of sex. The church, unfortunately, has either had no voice or it's had a negative voice. Most of us grew up in worlds where sex was the worst thing ever. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Stay away from it. And then you get married, and five minutes after you're married, they say, hey, it's good, and it's healthy, and it's wonderful. People cannot make that turn that quick. And I know people that have struggled for years in their marriage because they grew up feeling dirty and bad about it. My belief and my goal today is this. The church should inspire people towards healthy sexuality, not shame them away from it or against it. We've got to start speaking transparent truth into people's lives and let them see where God is in the midst of this instead of making them feel like they've committed the worst sins. And some of you know this. Some of you live in, in that world where you made a mistake and you thought, God will never love me again. I, I, I shouldn't go to church. I'm not worthy. And we, we live with the weight of these things. What we have done, unfortunately, in church, we didn't mean to do this. We just did it. We have taught the myth that sex is sin. Now, don't get me wrong. There are parts of sex that are sin. It's not the biggest part. And that's why most of our young people are listening to the world. You know why? Because that's the only voice that they have. And parents have not talked to their kids and said, guys, we need to talk about how good and wonderful this is. We've also bought the myth that sex is disgusting. Ugh, gross. Who want to do that? We've told people that if you like this, there's something wrong with you psychologically or emotionally. That it's just gross and it should be in that category. Or we've told people, well, sex is only for having kids. Sex is about just getting together and, you know, making sure that you can have kids. And that's really the only time that you get to enjoy that or experience that because you have a good enough excuse. But here is a truth that we need to hear. Sex is a gift. God invented it. It was his idea. We did not come up with it. 
the way that I describe this to people when I'm, they're about to get married is I want to say, you know, when, when all your family gets together and you have that gift table over there and somebody gives you a blender and somebody gives you a waffle maker, what God does is he brings a gift and he puts it on the table for you and it is the gift of sex. It's a gift that's for only the husband and the wife. It's God's greatest gift to this couple. Sex is also a reward for covenant. Marriage is a covenant. I know that that's, you know, move, we're moving away from that idea or people just say, oh, we'll just do it and as long as it's good. But marriage is a covenant. And sex is a blessing within that covenant. There's a reason why God wants us to be married before we have kids. He wants us to have a covenant with me and this person only. That he blesses with the gift of children. And then children are a blessing to that covenant. Children are a different covenant. And, and Haley and I, we're the first covenant. And the second covenant is our kids because our ki- kids are designed to lead. And then it's just going to be this. And when we confuse those covenants, the covenant of marriage and the covenant of children together, what we have is we have moms and dads that follow their kids into their marriages, and then when they look at each other, they realize the only thing they had in common was the children, and now the marriage is over. For those of you that are step families or or blended families, you understand the difficulty of this. There's kids before you make covenant. It complicates things, and it's very hard for those two new spouses to say, I am choosing you over the kids that I already have, and yet that's what has to happen. Otherwise, that marriage is doomed from day one. Some of you had the sting of being pregnant before you got married, and you remember that. And maybe you got married because it was, well, the right thing to do. And what we ended up doing unintentionally was we started violating covenants, covenants that God put in place. Listen, young people, God is not against sex. God wants you to have sex. He wants you to have healthy sex. He doesn't want you to violate the covenant that he gave to you because he knows it will mess up your life. He knows it will hurt you. He's not doing it because he's a buzzkill or he's a prune. He's doing it because he's trying to protect you. He's trying to keep you safe, and he wants you to experience it and not carry all this baggage into a relationship. The unfortunate and ugly truth about our world is that sex can be abusive and destructive. In fact, anything that is good that God gives us that is good and positive, the enemy will try to turn abusive and destructive. And one of the greatest landmines we have in our world today is pornography and adultery, both of which destroy healthy sexual relationships. We're not kids. Just all the men, you've seen pornography. Women, you've probably seen it too. In fact, 35% of all pornography that is consumed in the United States today is consumed by men. Pornography tells lies. It says that there are women out there, men, that all they think about all the time is having sex. They're like men. And women, you're seeing out there, I will never be good enough. I will never be enough. I'm, I'm not doing enough of the right things in the right way, so I will never be enough, and my spouse is going to get bored of me. Adultery, when we step outside of our marriages, 
because we look at this person and we go, well, we've been married 10, 15 years. I mean, there's nothing new about this person, and I'm not excited by them, and I'm not quite sure if I'm in love with them anymore. So I've got to go find somebody that's exciting and that, that loves me and that I feel a heart towards, and somehow that is where healthiness resides. And we have been lied to over and over again. And we're living with some landmines around us. Another landmine is this, is that sex is weaponized in marriage. Sex is a punishment or a reward. If you're not nice to me, there's no sex. If you're good, then maybe something good will happen. You know, Haley and I have taught a marriage group for about 15 years. Uh, the, the last year, I think it was the first year we haven't done it. Uh, we usually do it in the fall. And we invite about five couples to kind of, kind of walk with us. And we talk through some things. And we have a lot of laughs. And many of you in this room have been through this program. And we talk about everything. In fact, what we call it is, this is kind of the premarital counseling that you should have got, but we're going to give it to you now, okay, after 10 years. And it's amazing how those things can be transformative. And the night that we talk about it, week five, we always talk about sex, and it's super funny, and you will be scarred for life if you ever come to this group, but it is really good. And one of the things, you know my wife, my wife is an OBGYN, I've been a pastor for over 20 years, we have no filters with these things, we're not embarrassed about talking about them, because we want to speak truth. And one of the things that happens is this, we talk about all of us have little kids that are running around, and it's hard for us to have time with each other. And Haley makes a joke that everybody thinks is funny at first, but then agrees with. She looks at the ladies and she says, ladies, you just got to show up. And let's be honest, it doesn't take that long and you'll both feel better. And all the guys laugh at me for a second and then they go, whatever. <laughs> but let's be real about it. Let's not weaponize. Our, we are all busy. It's easy for us to, to let these things go. Or maybe the myth that we believe that sex is about me. It's about what I want and my needs being met. That's what sex is about. And we're going to talk today, but that's not actually what it is about. Uh, I've learned so much from my wife in, in regard to some of the medical sides of these things. And she says she has this conversation often with women who come in, whose husbands have sent them, and say, listen, you, you don't have a libido anymore, so you need to get a pill. And she has to sit down and say, listen, there is no pill for libido. There are function pills out there that you can, that you can use, and if you need them, use them. But there is no pill that, that we can give you to make you love your spouse. You're going to have to make an effort. You're going to have to do something to lean towards them. She also tells me that often there are women in their 60s, 70s, and 80s that come in in tears because their husbands have discovered little blue pills. And it is destroying their marriages because it is projecting a lie into it. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week, kind of be tame and ease you into it this week, so what? I'm going to read some passages of Scripture, though, that really talk to these ideas. And I'm going to read them all out of the message, not because it says them, it says them nicer. It actually says them more pointedly than a lot of the other uh, Bibles do. But it's written with more eloquent and poetic language that I think we need to hear. And I want you to hear the spirit of what is being said. The first one is 1 Corinthians Chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes these words to this church. He says this. Now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. First, it is a good thing to have sexual relationships. Wow. Certainly, 
but only within a certain context. It is good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, meaning a place we come together. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve one another, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it. Now, I've talked to some people, and some people have chosen to abstain from sex. The problem is they didn't tell their partner. It's okay for you to abstain from sex for the purposes of prayer and fasting. Some of you are about to become real religious. But only for such time. Then, you come back together again. Because Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose it. Do you hear the language here? Paul is saying you need to respect the roles. You need to respect each other. Everything, every good relationship, whether it be a friendship or an employer-employee or, yes, even a marriage, it starts with mutual love and respect for each other. And we have to respect that we are different, that I am not you and you are not me. And what Paul says here is that we should be serving each other through sex. Sex is one of the greatest ways to serve your spouse. It's the same as doing the laundry and washing the dishes. It just happens to be a little bit more intimate and about the two of you, but it is designed to to help you see the service and the love that you have for each other. Now, Ephesians 5 is one of the most uh, explosive passages about marriage, about husbands and wives, because Paul is very pointed about some of his language, and we don't like some of the language because it uses words like submit. And when we hear that word, we have a visceral reaction to say, well, this doesn't quite say what I want it to say. But I want you to hear what Paul is saying to these people. Beginning in verse 21, he says this, Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to each other. In your Bible, it might say, you know, because you love Christ, submit to Christ as you love one another, as you submit to each other. The word submission is about us choosing to give our hearts over. Listen, if all of us in this room lived into Christ's example of being beyond ourselves and not being selfish about things, we would really not have to have these conversations. But because the enemy has a hold on us, sometimes we do. But listen what it says. It all starts with Christ. It all starts with God. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to the wife the way that Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by caring. So just as Christ submits or serves, as the church serves Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands, 
should serve their husbands. Now, ladies don't like this passage because Paul starts with the women. And I want to tell you this. He's about to talk to the husbands. And the passage on the husbands is twice as long as it is for the wives. And it's much stronger language. To the husbands, he says this. Husbands, go out. Go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Men are inherently more selfish than women. And Paul is telling them, our nature is to get. But we have to choose, because we follow Christ, we have to choose to give, not get. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out in her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, meaning she is, she is his one and only. And that is how husbands are to love their wives. They're actually really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in the marriage. What that says is, guys, instead of being selfish first, rather give first. And because you and your spouse are married and you're already one, it's giving you everything you wanted by being selfish in the first place. Rather, rather give it away and it will come back to you. It's like the boomerang. The more that you uplift her and help her, the more that it is going to lift you up. See, a landmine that we've told people as well, even in our families, is that we shouldn't talk about sex. You just shouldn't talk about it. We should just give all the warnings and kind of share. We just shouldn't talk about it. That's not true. You may not know this, but the Bible is very R-rated at times. But most truth is. The Bible is a sexy book. Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, the Old Testament, is a book of poetry. A book of poetry about husbands and wives. And for those of you that have been in church for a long time, I will almost promise you, you have never heard these things read in church. But I want you to listen to these words. This is a man, a husband to his wife, starting in Song of Songs, chapter 4. It says, you captured my heart, dear friend. You looked at me, and I fell in love. One looked my way, and I was hopelessly in love. How beautiful your love, dear, dear friend. The, the basis of marriage is this. Far more pleasing than a fine, rare wine. Your fragrance more exotic than select spices. The kisses of your lips are like honey, my love. Every syllable you speak, a delicacy, a savor. And then the woman, to her husband, his face is rugged. His beard smells like sage. Probably should say Calvin Klein now, but we'll take it. His voice is good, warm and reassuring. Fine muscles ripple beneath his skin, quiet and beautiful. His torso is the work of a sculptor. Haley said these words to me just yesterday. <laughs> Hard <laughs> and smooth. 
as ivory. He stands tall like a cedar, strong and deep-rooted, a rugged mountain of a man. Deep breaths, everyone, deep breaths. Chapter 7, again, a woman, a mantra of hers speaks to us. Shapely and graceful sandals she wears, and queenly your movements. Your limbs are lithe and elegant, the work of a master artist. Your body is a chalice, wine-filled. Your skin is silken and tawny like a field of wheat touched by the breeze. Your breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle. <laughs> your neck is carved ivory, curved and slender. Your eyes of w- are wells of light, deep with mystery, quintessentially female. Your profile turns all head, commanding attention. The feelings I get when I see the high mountain ranges, stirring of desire, longing for the heights, remind me of you, and I am spoiled for anyone else. Your beauty within and without is absolute Dear lover, close companion, you are tall and supple like a palm tree, and your full breasts are like sweet clusters of dates. I say, I'm going to climb that palm tree, and I'm going to caress its fruit. Oh, yes, your breasts will be the clusters of sweet fruit to me. This is the word of the Lord. While I understand that you may not want to tell your wife that she looks like a flock of goats <laughs> or something like that, there's power in that statement. If your goal every day is to speak life and truth and beauty over, over her, and ladies, if your goal each day is to help your man become who God has called him to be, Something beautiful and wonderful will happen in your life. We have to respect the rhythm that people are different, that men and women are not the same, and that God has gifted us uniquely to serve each other. He's made us to fit together. He has made us to be two sides of the same coin. And when we violate that, what we do is we destroy the most beautiful thing that God has given us. That we should honor God through healthy sexuality in our marriage. You should be having great sex if you're married. If you're a believer, you should be sharing something beautiful that God has given you. I know you don't want to think about this. God watches all the things we do. But the time that we are actually closest to God in covenant with our spouse is when we have sex. Because it's what God gave to us. And when we celebrate that and allow that to be what he wants it to be, it will drastically change your life. If you get up in the morning and you give your time to God and you try to keep him first and foremost, and if you read your Bible, yes, you're going to come to those passages. And you should celebrate those things because God is saying, that's what I meant. It's not bad. It's beautiful. It's me. When you take hold of that, it's going to change the way that you live. I know we're going to talk some next week about more of these things, but you need to talk about it. 
You need to pray about it. Have you ever prayed about your sex life or about having healthy sexuality? God, please help us to find each other. Help us to find you in the midst of this. Help us bring us together. People are uncomfortable having conversations about sex, but this is the person that you're meant to share everything with. You know, Adam and Eve are in the garden in the first story, and they're there and they're naked, and I know we kind of obsess about that, but what it means is that there are no, there are no insecurities. There are no secrets between them. The Bible says they walk with God every single day, and it is only after they sin that they start covering their bodies with shame and they find distance between them and God. Speak life into your spouse because they spend a lot of their life feeling insecure and insufficient. And when we borrow from Song of Solomon, from Song of Songs, when we speak life over our marriages and over our spouses, and yes, even over our sex lives, it will change the way that we think about it. God will do something through us that the world doesn't offer. I know we've had some laughs, and we're going to continue to probably do that over the course of the next few weeks because we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. But the church should not have no voice about this. Christian parents, you should be telling your kids, listen, right now, we know you want to do something, and we're saying no, but it's not because we hate you. It's not because we're prunes. It's not because God's a buzzkill. It's because God wants to protect you and give you a great gift. And if you unwrap it a hundred times before God gives it to you, it's not going to work the same way. And we want you, we want you to, to find God in your marriage. And this is one of the ways that we do that. Next week, we're going to continue talking about what the Bible says about this. And we're going we're gonna to cross that line. I mean, I didn't even read the worst parts of Song of Songs. I know some of you men are like, I am reading my Bible this week, okay? So get on it. You do it, okay? We're going to talk about some rules for healthy marriage, not just no's. We're going to talk about how does this work. We're going to talk about some problems, some perceptions that men and women have. And I'm going to give you guys some secrets some secrets that you need to know that maybe nobody told you or nobody had the courage to tell you. And yes, ladies, we're going to talk about yoga pants too. Be ready. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. I noticed we have more people at church today than we've had in a while. Uh, but listen, uh, Brad, it was, uh, <laughs> he's come on up on Wednesday. Um, he came to me. We were talking. We had a staff meeting, and he said, what song do you sing after a sermon like that? And I thought, well, uh, I don't quite know. I had some ideas. They were all missed, so we can't do those anymore.